You are Locked On SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to your Locked On SEC Football Podcast. He's Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com. I'm Dave Hooker. We are loaded up today. Don't forget to go to Twillery.com to get some fantastic shirts that you don't even have to iron. How sweet is that? And also... Uh, those shirts that you can check out, free shipping, free returns, use the Locked On promo podcast, the Locked On promo code, and i tell you what, then you're going to get $25 off. You can't beat that. We start on kind of a, a somber note, uh, to say the least. One of the players I think is most memorable um, of, of, because he was such a unique player is Jared Lorenzen, who is uh, in the hospital uh, battling a, a series of um, uh, maladies right now, ailments, and his, uh, his family has said he is fighting for his life. So certainly our thoughts and prayers uh, go out to him. But um, I still remember him being, uh, Chris, such a u- unique player uh, in that um, you know he just uh, seemed to have this will uh, to 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 try to make plays as, as best he could. And he was a very enjoyable player to watch. Of course, his weight was uh, the topic of a lot of conversation, but um, there was a period there where he was one of the more entertaining players in the SEC. There's no doubt. And uh, I, you know, I, I was not aware of it until, you know, before we got on this podcast, you were filling me in on it. Um, and it, it just, uh, you know, so deep into football every day. And I, I, I missed that. I did not hear about it. And it just saddened to hear it. Um, obviously was, as you put it so eloquently, very unique player, um, you know, size. And he had natural ability, you know, athletically to be able to throw the football. It wasn't, um, you know, the most technique sound or, uh, certainly not prototypical in any way. In fact, the complete opposite. But was a get it done guy, and was a. Uh, I mean, I, you know, Davey was like a a guard playing quarterback. But none of that's really important now. And I'm just so saddened to hear that he is battling battling such bad health. And um, my goodness, he's not even 40 years old. Just way too young. And, you know, you, you worry a little bit about, you know, you don't know this and people poke fun at guys and weight and whatnot. It, it's usually a malady of, you know, sometimes you're born hereditary with things that uh, contribute to your weight. And people always think, oh, you know, guys eat too much or whatever. But there's so many people uh, in and out of athletics that have a problem. And you wonder what type of effect it has on your internal organs and your health and um, well, it's just, it's just really, really, uh, heartbreaking to hear about it. And, uh, just, you know, prayers are with him and his family and, uh, pulling for him to, to come out of that and, uh, you, you know, resume having a, a, a normal life, which is all we can ask for at this point for him. I, I still remember seeing him at, uh, SEC media days. Uh, and I think he was maybe the first freshman, that was uh, ever brought by any team, and I remember seeing a guy just standing there, and he had a he didn't have a name tag on, but he had a Kentucky tag, and I thought, hey, well, here's an opportunity for a one-on-one interview, and I had no idea who he was because he was a freshman, 
And I said, uh, hey, do you have a minute for an interview? And he said, sure. And I said, um, well, so, uh, you know, I obviously didn't know who he was. He said his name was Jared Lorenz. And I said, um, so what position on the offensive line do you play? <laughs> and, and he said, actually, I'm the quarterback. And he took it so well, he laughed it off. And I felt like the ultimate idiot. Um, but he made me feel comfortable with it. So uh, because he was so nice, um, I always rooted for him a little bit. But um, yeah, thoughts and, and he kind of and I think, he, you know, that's not the you're not the first person. In fact, you probably weren't the first person within the hour to ask him the same thing. I think he was used to that. And I also think. You know, I did not know him very well. I do remember him when he, you know, at Kentucky and scouting him. And I remember him at the com. I remember things, you know, through the scouting process. And he, and he was a guy that, you know, and, and is a guy, I don't want to put it in past sense, uh, uh, that, that laughed at himself. And I, and I think he looked at it and he embraced the, the hefty lefty, the, you know, the Pillsbury throw boy and all the other nicknames. He was, if you think about it. He was the Charles Barkley of football. I mean, you know, it, it mainly just, if nothing else, the nicknames, you know. And, uh, you, know, you know, Charles had the personality and still has the personality where he'll laugh at himself. And, you know, he, you know, he had all the big names, the round mound of rebound, everything at Auburn. And, um, you know, in some ways, you know, Jared was that way at, uh, at Kentucky. So, um, just, again, thoughts and prayers out of him, uh, you know, for to be – you know, 38, 39 years old, um, just way too young to be battling this. So, uh, just, you know, if you're inclined to out there, just, uh, say a prayer for him and his family and, uh, let's hope and pray for the best. Let's, uh, stay with Kentucky, uh, a couple of commitments. And we just did the Kentucky preview, uh, recently, uh, Kentucky, a program that is probably never going to recruit with the big boys, but they can certainly, uh, hang right there and be what a top 20 25 team nationally is that fair to say I, I recruiting wise or just you know ranking wise you know uh, I think that uh, yeah recruiting wise yeah. I, I think I think that can that can be in that 25 to 35 range as we've talked about the problem is that puts you you know maybe maybe fifth or if you get into 25 maybe fifth in the east you know because you're looking up at everybody in the league that's maybe not Vanderbilt and maybe, you know, you can battle it out with Missouri for the, the, the least effective, let's call it, you know, class in the East and still be in the top 25 or 30. Let that sink in. And, and that's what we, we focus on a lot about the hill that you have to climb up in the sec East or West in, in recruiting and talent. But as long as they continue to, I think fine, the quality three-star guy and developed guys. You know, here's the way I would classify. You know how the the term mid-majors in basketball. You know how you you saw the rise of those guys because, you know, you see it in the tournament where players. Okay, you have the big boys that have the one and dones, and 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 it, they have more talent, but sometimes the chemistry wasn't there. So you might have a team that's capable of making a run all the way to the final four. Or because of the youth and inexperience, they get knocked out in the second round. Whereas the the mid-major guy, you know, the George Mason, the Butlers, the Gonzagas that 
and Gonzaga's getting a little bit more big boys with better players, but what do they have in common? They develop players, so now they got guys that have played together two, three years, and they're better teams. I think that is what I consider like a Kentucky football. It's the complete opposite of Kentucky basketball. Got to get guys that develop where every maybe three or four years they can have a special season like last year. Uh, but it's going to require that because when you lose a Josh Allen, you lose a Benny Snell, it may take a while before things kind of settle in because you're not going to replace them with four-star guys. Um, but they got another couple of um, a good couple of good players. One, a three-star kid, a receiver that I think's underrated, Khalil Branham, 6'1", 190. He was originally committed to Michigan. Um, he's switched over to Kentucky, I think, you know, because at Michigan's maybe gone for a little bit more of a of a high-profile guy. Um, they need more uh, playmaking ability at receiver. I think this guy's got a chance to be a good player early on. I think he's a high three-grade guy, a high three-star guy, meaning I think he's trending towards a four-star guy. Really good get for Kentucky. Probably not the best get of the day for him. They got a verbal from a four-star defensive lineman, and this is where the success of Kentucky's defense. See, they've done it differently, as you know, Dave, that they've been really good defensively under Mark. Samuel Anali, uh, he decommitted from Miami, and they were able to get him. Um, and it's a really good get for them. He's a top 10 defensive end in this 2020 class and a top 175 overall prospect. Big get. So I think one outstanding talent that is a four-star, that maybe is an upgrade from what they normally get in the defensive lineman, Anali, and then in uh, Branham, a, a good uh, – you know, a uh, three-star receiver. So uh, good news in the recruiting front from Kentucky yesterday. Certainly so. And lots of news from the Manning Passing Academy. Chris Landry was there, LandryFootball.com. Learn more about football. Be the most learned fan among your circle of friends if you join LandryFootball.com. So we'll get news from the Manning Passing Academy. Also, we'll visit with Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South. So we are loaded up. You're locked on SEC football podcast. Stay tuned. More after this. You are locked on SEC football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back. You're locked on SEC football podcast. It is news from the Manning Passing Academy. I still remember when they first started that thing, and it was like, well, that's just a, a, a little neat passing academy they have. And now it's uh, it's kind of college football central, especially in the South. And you were there. You saw some guys throw. And uh, maybe more importantly, you visit with some coaches there. And you got some news on Georgia, LSU, and South Carolina. So uh, what's the latest? Well, um, you know, it's it's a really, first of all, really good event. And I, I know I was asked – First couple of years, I was asked to speak at it, and every year, but well, most years, a uh, couple of years, I, I was not able to uh, to go. But uh, it, it's always good to go and see Archie and really the Manning family. They they really are hands on, and the best thing about it is young aspiring quarterbacks are getting coached by not only Eli and Peyton that are there and and are, and are really involved, but but by some top tier quarterbacks in college 
that these young men that are going to be aspiring college players, you know, look up to as well. So that that's kind of the unique part. I guess the main story that came out of it is Tua has got a hamstring issue. <laughs> and so all of Alabama went uh, apoplectic about, oh, what, what's wrong? But he didn't do much. But I tell you who, I, and I didn't spend a lot of time there. I had uh, other commitments, but I did spend a little time. And Jake Bentley was really impressive. Uh, throwing the football. And, of course, that's not news. Jake can really throw the football. But see him up close um, was certainly good And speaking with him. He's very, very excited about the season. Um, and they're going to need to open things up offensively. I thought Tommy Stevens, who was there, we've talked about Tommy quite a bit the past several weeks, as he recently joined Mississippi State, former Penn State quarterback. Um, those guys really uh, – I, I was able to see both of those guys up close along with some others, but those guys stood up among, uh, stood out among the SEC guys, and uh, doesn't mean that, oh, boy, they really threw well. That means they're going to have great seasons. Throwing well in shorts at a camp is just what it is, throwing well shorts at the camp. But what my point is is spending a little time with them, uh, seeing how well they looked. It looked like Jake has uh, really done a good job of keeping his body in really good shape and uh, is kind of ready to go, and he, he kind of sees this – as a special season, we talked a little bit about his his pro prospects and maybe things that he needed to work on. And he's excited about the challenge this year. Um, you know, South Carolina's had you know mixed bag, and but but Will's done a pretty good job recruiting, and uh, Jake is going to have to have a standout year, no doubt about it. So uh, it's good. Certainly was good to kind of catch up with the folks there and to to uh, to see those two uh, young guys kind of uh, have a. Uh, you know, really good outlooks for this season. I don't know from Stevens' standpoint. I don't – I think it's still an outside shot that he's got a chance to win the job in August, but I still think it's Keaton Thompson's job to lose, Dave. As far as um, your thoughts on John Robinson joining LSU as as an analyst, what well, kind of uh, impact can he have there? You know, certainly having a guy that is he's 84 years old and he's got a close – um, relationship with Ed Ogeron. And so I, you know, I, I think is going to be just somebody that can be involved in that regard, a sounding board. Um, when Ed got the job, he hired good friend, good friend of him and really good friend of mine, Pete Jenkins, um, to be defensive line coach first year. And then kind of Pete, uh, Pete was kind of in that same role. Um, and, and was kind of a, he had another defensive line coach, and Pete was involved. But in his 70s, you know, Pete was a little bit too much involved in football, so the late-night meetings just didn't quite fit, and Pete ended up retiring. But Pete was a sounding board for Ed, um, somebody that he can go to that that he really trusts. And this is kind of, I would call it the Pete replacement, but somebody that Ed knew, obviously, from his time at USC um, and kind of – I, you know, just, I don't think, you know, coach Robinson's going to spend now film, but I think he's going to be, uh, he knows what it looks like. He knows how some of the chemistry and issues need to be handled. Um, I think those things are really important. If you look at maybe what happened a couple of years ago with Matt Canada and how some of the things went haywire, uh, I think it, I The one thing about Ed that I like, I, I've got questions as to whether he's a championship caliber coach, but the one thing that he does very well, he embraces new ideas. Uh, sometimes he's maybe 
too willing to change and embrace, you know, and go one way to the other. But but I think he's open to listen to good ideas. So uh, I think it's a really interesting move and uh, one that that's not going to have a tremendous impact. You're not going to hear a lot about, well, it's just something behind the scenes that I think is going to help Ed um, kind of grow as a head coach. And then uh, some news out of Georgia, I believe you picked up as well. Yeah, I talked to some coaches there. Of course, um, congrats to Dan O'Brien, um, the Tom O'Brien's son. Of course, if you remember Tom, Tom was former head coach at North Carolina State and Boston College and, you know, has been uh, been around a long time in the coaching business. His son, Dan, has gotten into coaching. He's joined Georgia as a defensive analyst. He was uh, He was an assistant at the Naval Academy where Tom was an assistant. Um, he was the defensive back coach uh, at Harvard and Elon. Good, bright young coach. It's got football and his uh, coaching in his blood. Um, it's it's a good ad for Georgia staff. Just as a by mention, again, nothing that's earth shattering news or going to change the face of their defense. But I want to give a shout out to him. But what is interesting that I uncovered from the coaches and talking with a, a couple of the offensive coaches, they tell me. Now, we all know that DeAndre Swift is the guy at running back. And I talk with him a little bit about Jameer White, who I think is a special running back. He's a true freshman, and we'll see all of that. I, I think that they're, you know, wanting to not throw a lot on Jameer to be, you know, a lot of expectations and whatnot. Um, so this may have a little bit to do with this comment. But I've talked last week about – you know, before talking to the coaches about Brian Harrion, the senior running back, and how I thought he could be, you know, a real factor, maybe start as the backup reserve running back at the beginning of the season. Well, the coaches there tell me that he is clearly the number two guy. And so, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see, is it a big deal? No, I think that he gets the carries, the reps in practice once fall practice starts in August. But I'm still going to contend that at some point the talent of Zamir White's probably going to get him on the field. But I think this is a nod to what Brian Harrion is in the locker room, the leadership, um, and just is a good football player. Uh, maybe not as talented as a couple of those guys, but they tell me that he's the number two guy behind uh, DeAndre Swift heading into fall practice. So that's a, a nugget that I got from the uh, the, uh, the Georgia coaches, rather. Uh, and it kind of corresponds to kind of what I said last week about what I think Brian can be at least to start the season, uh, what the film says about him. Yep. You certainly were high on him. Coming up, it'll be that interview with Connor O'Gara with NBA Free Agency. I asked Connor uh, what players he would pick in terms of uh, free agents uh, out of the uh, SEC. And uh, let's just say it was it was a difficult decision. Let me ask you real quick, uh, would it be uh, Tua? Would that be the, the easy one, Chris, as far as if you could pick any free agency to uh, run your team for this one season coming up? Uh, no, I'd take that young quarterback from Clemson and say uh, I'm riding him. I think he's got <laughs> unique ability, and I love Tua, but I'm starting a college team, a pro team. By the way, it, it's a college question. And he is the answer, Trevor Lawrence. It's also the answer if I could have any quarterback at any level in college to start my NFL team, it's also Trevor Lawrence. So uh, I'm taking that young man over anybody. The quarterback position is the most important. I don't know that he's the best 
player in college football because there are other players that are equally as good at their position. But at the quarterback position, um, there's no doubt his ability is one of the best players in the country regardless of position. I think he's the best quarterback. And if you had a draft right now and you could draft anybody, um, forget just what I'd say. And in my consulting work with teams, I can tell you that he would be the number one pick in the draft today. In fact, I think if he was able to be eligible in last April's draft, he would have been the number one pick. He's that good and has that much potential. Wow. Uh, strong stuff. Okay, well, we'll get Connor's thoughts. Stay tuned. More after this. You're locked on SEC Football Podcast. He is Chris Landry. I'm Dave Hooker. You are locked on SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back. You're locked on SEC Football Podcast. We get to Connor O'Gara. was NBA free agency. So we ask Connor, who had to be a little coy year because he's got his top 25 players in the SEC coming out in a couple of weeks. He didn't want to give too much away, but uh, we asked him uh, who he would select uh, if he were starting a, a college football program uh, and who he would like to lead his team. Here's Connor O'Gara with Saturday Down South. Okay, that's, that's, that's interesting because basically everybody, you know, I already did my top 25 players in the SEC. That'll come out. Uh, in July, basically everybody that comes to mind is somebody who's a junior or is going to be draft eligible, like as even like a senior, like Derek Brown of Auburn. You know that would be that would be the guy. But I mean, even if it was just one year, I'd still probably go to a. And I know that that's cliche, but just the things that he can do for your offense. I mean, I, I think that his value is still extremely high despite the fact that we saw some things down the stretch of him that obviously were not ideal and showed a more human side of him that we had come to know in the first couple months of the season but yeah i mean if you could just have one year or two like think about how excited that would make the average college football fan if you just added two to your team and everything else stayed the same all of a sudden you're talking about national title i mean he he has the kind of impact that a kevin durant would have for a team a healthy kevin durant that is and if you would just be able to plug him in and know that your receivers are going to be elevated, I think that that would take your team over the top. Because, like, look what he even did with that passing group. Like, people forget that passing game the year before with a very, very similar group was not that good with Jalen Hurts because Jalen Hurts didn't have that trust in, trust in them, and all he trusted was Calvin Ridley. And look at, like, what, what Tua did essentially as a free agent there to, like, just come into that offense and immediately, like, you see – Guys, you know, like Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs just take off and all of a sudden have this big-time role. So, yeah, I mean, Tua is kind of the – it's the boring answer, but it's, I think the obvious answer, in my opinion. Okay, if I went outside the SEC, would you take Trevor Lawrence over Tua? Oh, no question. No question. Yeah, and I have Trevor Lawrence as my number one quarterback in the country going into 2019 just because you've already seen – I mean, the fact that obviously they, they played on the same field and then you really got to see how mature Lawrence really was. And that's not to say that, you know, he's automatically going to be better than, than Tua in 2019. But, yeah, I mean, if I'm taking one right now, what he did with that kind of pressure, I just don't think you can really say enough about it. I mean, we've never seen a quarterback who's a number one overall recruit have a season like what he did and to do it immediately where – 
you know, Dabo makes this move in September that, you know, we look back in hindsight and it's like, oh, yeah, it's the obvious move to just say Kelly Bryant, go find somewhere else to play. You know, this job belongs to Trevor Lawrence. But think about the pressure that he was under and what he did that first week where he takes that unnecessary hit against Syracuse and he goes down. All of a sudden you're like, well, why did Dabo do that? Like, this is such a dumb move on his part. And the response that Trevor Lawrence had to that game in that moment of realizing, like, I am, I am the key to this team reaching new heights. And instead, all he did was lead Clemson to one of the best seasons we've seen in the 21st century, one of the best seasons in the history of college football, in my opinion, and really elevated that program. So, yeah, I mean, he's the guy that I'm taking on my team and, and hoping that he's going to be there for the next two years healthy and looking like he did last year. It's interesting because there are a lot of parallels between Alabama and Clemson. Uh, when you talk about Jalen Hurts and Kelly Bryant, both being quarterbacks that are capable, but they, they don't particularly throw the ball uh, as well as the guys who wound up ultimately replacing them. Is an injury pretty much the only situation where a younger quarterback can come in and replace an upperclassman like that? Because I don't feel like that's something that, even though it happened for those two schools, I don't think that that's something that happens very often. You know, you're you're right, and I think that the the Georgia thing is a good reminder of that, right? I mean, this past year, I kept saying throughout the offseason, when all these Georgia fans are were so excited about Justin Fields, I said, that's all well and good, but like, you realize that there's nothing, nothing that Justin Fields is going to be able to do in the offseason to prove that he is more worthy than Jake Fromm. If you look at what Jake Fromm did as a true freshman, even though his role was limited, it's still the guy who led Georgia to its first national championship game Herschel Walker's final year in Athens. Like, that matters at a place like Georgia, and it's different than Alabama, and that's why the, the parallels weren't quite there and why there was going to be more loyalty to Jake Fromm than there was for Alabama to Jalen Hurts. So I, I thought it was one of those situations where Jake Fromm, if he had continued his play after the LSU game, if, if he responds with a dud against Florida, I think there's a very realistic chance that we see Justin Fields in a more prominent role, and that job is up for grabs, but... It pretty much needs to be an injury-type situation. Look how Jake Fromm was able to get the starting job. I mean, it was because of an injury to Jacob Eason in that role where he was just kind of thrust into the starting job and baptism by fire, and he took the reins with it. But that's really how this thing has to play out. I think it's more the exception than the rule to think that if you're a true freshman, you're going to be able to come in there and upseat you know, a starter who has done some big-time things. It still doesn't happen very often. So um, you said that you're doing your top 25 list and you really like Tua. Can I assume he's number one or do you want to not give that away yet? Um, I don't want to give it away quite yet. A uh, little, little tease. I mean, it, yes, he is in very, very high consideration to say that. <laughs> um, there, I, I think, but what, what I will say is like, I think that there will be some, some, some names on that list in the top 10 specifically. I'll give you a little teaser right now. I've got Christian Fulton in my top ten, and I don't think you know a lot of people would consider him this like elite player in the country. And I think that he gets a bit overshadowed if you look at you know what Greedy Williams did last year in the LSU secondary, and then you know somebody like Grant Delpit who is extremely high on my list. I'll also say that, but somebody like Christian Fulton, I think is is one of those guys that when you get a couple months removed from the season, you look back at his body of work and you're like oh my gosh, this guy was incredible. And when all these, these teams weren't throwing at Greedy Williams, they were trying to throw at Christian Fulton, and he was dominant. And that was one of the reasons that LSU was so good last year. So I think 
that that's what's kind of fun with doing a list like this is that when when you're not kind of caught up in the moment and talking about draft hype and, and all this, I think it, it's a nice chance to kind of look at really what expectations should be for 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 the upcoming season. So yeah, I mean, two is two is very high up though. I'll, I'll just say that. Who is the toughest guy, if you can, or one of the tough guys to leave off a top twenty-five list? Because the guy that's number twenty-six, you're going to have fans gropping about that. You know that. Oh, absolutely. I have fifteen um, best of the rest guys on this list, and it's it's tough. And I, and I know I'm gonna I'm gonna catch some flack for this, but I mean, you could really go across the SEC and, and find some some great names, some truly great names. You know, somebody like Marquez Callaway from Tennessee is somebody that I left off just because yes, we think the potential's there for 2019, but just the body of work for the rest of the top 25 is just more proven. And there are a lot of guys, guys who are being considered, you know, like second-team All-Americans that I'm leaving off. You know, somebody like Jedrick Wills at Alabama, the offensive lineman. Somebody, you know, guys who have had 1,000-yard rushing seasons. Larry Roundtree from Mizzou. Uh, Anthony Jennings, who really came on late down the stretch for, for Alabama. And there are a lot of guys that you realize going through this that, man, this, this conference is still absolutely loaded with talent as much as it is lost to the NFL draft. Coming up with a top twenty-five was not an easy thing, and I think that when you when you have a chance to look at this and you're like, "Oh my gosh, how could this guy possibly get left off?" You're going to be like, "Okay, well, it makes a little bit more sense." Somebody who's a first-team All-American by many people's standards, Raquan Davis, actually have a number twenty little little teaser there, and I think something like that would surprise people. But when you look at the people ahead of him, you're like, "Okay." You know, I, I kind of get that, and I think that, you know, there are other guys who have just higher expectations for the upcoming season. So, yeah, it really kind of made me, as much as we talk about it every year, about how loaded the SEC is, the SEC is absolutely loaded with some individual talent that um, I think is, is relatively rare, just considering some of the, the individual skill players and, and what the SEC has returning, I, and, you know, chances to have a Heisman Trophy guy, all those things, I think are very much on the table for the season. That was Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South. For Chris Landry at LandryFootball.com, I'm Dave Hooker. Have a fantastic day, everyone. We will talk to you tomorrow.